0: you're listening to the fearless futures podcast where we unpack and interrogate mainstream methods as well as alternative approaches we have developed and deployed
1: for equity and inclusion working in daring companies across sectors around the world each week we will explore a new angle you won't want to miss so stick around Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with none other than Lancy Lathorne. Oh, first of all, before I jump in, I just want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. I am your host, Sable Lomax. My pronouns are she and her. And this is season two of the Fearless Futurist podcast. If you have not listened to season one, you can go ahead and take a listen on Apple or Spotify and wherever you find all the podcast places that host all the podcasts. I honestly can't keep up um, these days, but I'm super, super excited for today. Nancy, how are you?
0: I'm fine. It's the end of the day. I've been a little nervous about this all day long, so my anxiety levels are probably a little higher than they should be, but I am good, thank you, and really pleased to be here.
1: I can assure you, this is probably a lot less stressful than being on being on like Oprah's sofa or you know a broadcast. Or I hope panel. so. You know? So, I understand your anxiety, but I can assure you, you're in safe hands. You're in safe hands. It,
0: I know I, I am. I wouldn't be here if I didn't Thank know that. Thank you,
1: and I'm, I'm really so excited to talk to you for episode two, shifting the paradigm capacity building among senior leaders. So before we jump in, I just want everyone to know a little bit more about you. I don't know how you feel about reading bios, but I'm going to read yours. Is that okay? Oh, I'll look away. <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> Nancy has been in the media industry since 1999, initially working on a variety of UK brands. Her passion for people and equity saw her shift her attention to internal cultural projects in 2011 when she set up the industry's first media apprentice scheme. Since then, her role has grown into her current position of global chief inclusion officer. Over the last few years at Mediacom and WPP, Nancy has implemented programs such as the Mental Health Allies Program. This was rolled out globally for Mediacom and across 50 agencies for WPP. I just want us to take a minute to realize how large that program was and is. A sponsorship <laughs> program for underrepresented talent and safe space allies outside of Mediacom. Nancy is a mother of four young children and is trustee of Bromley Brighter Beginnings, a charity that works with disadvantaged families and victims of domestic violence in the London Borough of Bromley. Nancy, you've had an extensive, amazing career. How does it feel to hear your bio read out loud?
0: That's so funny. As you were saying it, I was sitting here thinking, God, is there a human alive who likes to hear their bio being read? I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's a slightly traumatic experience, isn't it? And and it and it's sort of triggering because you've obviously gone through the process of writing about yourself in the third person, which which just always feels icky. So, um, yeah, I hear it, but it's funny. My brain is programmed in in a very self critical way, so I hear that stuff, and I and I just think, oh God, there's so many other things I haven't done though. <laughs> so that's uh, yeah, that's why I probably need therapy.
1: You can see what type of episode this is going to be. But honestly, I think think that happens to a lot of us. Like you hear it and you're like, oh, I haven't done anything. And then you hear other people's bios and you're like, my Lord, they've done everything. I I need to do more with my life.
0: I don't always trust that yeah, though. No. I always listen to this. So I'm like, that is very long and you're not that old. What's going on?
1: Oh, I, I love that. Just so you all know, I had a chance to chat with Nancy, maybe, I don't know, what is time? Two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And there was a part of your story that I just really wanted folks to hear before I went into like the questions that we planned for you and all of that good stuff. So I'm not going to tell your story, but I am going to ask you to share it. And it was that bit Mm -hmm. where you were discussing early on in your career. When you first began, you didn't think you'd be able to stay in media, Must let. At your agency because of your experience what you witnessed what you observed so that's just my like teaser but i really want you to like lean in and share that because i thought that was so valuable in comparison to what you thought yeah. then and where you are now
0: yeah it's funny i can't remember why that came up and, and and it's it's a weird thing because it was something that i had in my head for a very long time and it was a completely like solid view. Like it wasn't like a, oh, I'm a bit worried about this thing. It was like, no, that that's it. So when I first started in the media industry, I, you know, Mediacom has always actually been, ha- had a much more even gender balance than a lot of agencies. And, and, and certainly compared to the creative agencies, that the balance has been phenomenal. But even then... In, in my agency and certainly the rest of the industry, um, there were so few um, older women. And I remember saying that to somebody when I was like, I don't know, 23 or something and sort of said, oh, look, you know, where do the older people go? <laughs> like, I can see some older men, but I can't really see many older women at all. Um, and I remember somebody saying to me very quickly, like this was a normal question, um, oh, they all go client side. And so I do remember thinking, oh, OK, so I'm here for like a I'm here for a short period then. And, a, and and I'll have to develop a plan on how I do the thing that everybody else does and get to that safe place that they're talking about. Um, and it was always in the back of my mind that I needed that plan to be developed. Um, and as I sort of got older and I sort of progressed through my career I kept thinking oh I still haven't made that plan because I'm not ready for it yet um, and I just sort of thought well surely I'm going to get to, to a, a point where I do feel ready for it and I didn't and look it's it's radically changed I mean at Mediacom we have phenomenal female representation um, at, at senior levels and, you know, our UK CEO is um, is a woman. We have numerous amazing female CEOs across the network. Um, and so that that concept has totally shifted in my head. And I feel now definitely more powerful. And I don't mean the power that other people give me, but internally I feel more powerful. I feel more capable. I feel more determined than I did at 23. And I'm 45 now. And I just, but that was not the narrative that I was given it wasn't the narrative that the industry gave me so I think for for a number of years really things felt more precarious than than they needed to I just thought well I I get to have a slice of this but not the whole not the whole pie Um, and I'm really glad that that's that that's not the case and I think that's I think it's very very different for women in our agency now but that they were the times
1: It was something you said right at the end. Like I knew I could, I was here for a short while. I could have a slice of it, but not the whole pie. And I'm just thinking about, you know, being a young graduate and this can be across industry, um, across industries and, you know, entering your first adult job or big job. I forget the terminology we use, like, oh, you have your first, you know, big job. And, you know, having those observations and what could be the impact of thinking and internalizing believing for, you know, however many years, whatever length of time that you're here for a little while in a slice, but you can't really enjoy the whole pie and how that could impact someone's career trajectory and how many people to this day still feel that for various reasons, you know, with respect to various identities that, hmm, based on what I can see, and leadership based on things that are transpiring, I'm only here for a little while and only a slice. This is not designed for me to experience the whole pie. Since 2011, or even before then, what has been like a mic drop moment for you in terms of inclusion and equity? And I'm not looking for any particular experience, but just one of those moments where you were like, whoa, I didn't know that. I didn't think about that. That's a new perspective and so forth.
0: Yeah. Do you know, there have been two. One involves fearless futures. And we'll get to that in the second one, because that's that's sort of uh, in more recent times. Do you know, it was around 2011. So basically the first half of my career has been spent on the media and client side of our business. And I just sort of fell out of love with it, really, but loved the environment I was in and loved the things that I was able to do around people and culture. And I was really fortunate at the time. My CEO was an amazing woman called Karen Blackett, and she offered me a really big promotion. I was on maternity leave at the time, which doesn't happen very often, so that tells you a lot. That was an amazing thing to happen. Um, I got on the train and I cried (laughs) because it just wasn't what I wanted from the world anymore. I told her that. And said, look, reluctantly, I'm going to have to say no. My ego is telling me to do that job, but I know it's not going to make me happy. So I think I'm going to have to do something else. Um, I was fortunate because she let me define what I could do. and, And we sort of built that role together, which was an internal facing role. And it was basically to set up various different things, like an apprentice program and just do stuff that was much more about our people. And at the time... I was really feeling my way like that, you know, that was the first time I'd done stuff like that. And I sort of had a good sense of what I felt was right and a good sense of what I felt was fair. But it hadn't been done before in our industry, actually, certainly not in our agency. Um, And so I was definitely feeling my way. And I think there are a couple of decisions that I made back then that I did because I just thought actually no one's paying that close attention so I think I can just do this stuff and don't see what happens and, and if it goes wrong I don't know if anyone's gonna sort of notice straight away so I'll, I'll work it out one of those things was to for our entry-level recruitment process was to take away CVs um, and to strip away all of that stuff that people bring to interviews that actually has been given to you by other people so um you know, I think entry. I think CVs for entry level talent are so problematic, and and it sounds very extreme, but I think quite often that piece of paper is just stuff that your teachers and your parents have told you to put on the piece of paper. It doesn't actually reflect uh, how you feel and what your capability is and what your behaviours are. Um, and certainly, all the stuff on there about where you live and yeah, school and whether you went to cues the. On a, on a there, there really are. You know, when people are scanning that piece of paper for those cues, right? They're going, oh, you know, I used to live near that road. So I bet they went to that school. And that's a really nice school. So immediately, um, that person's more comfortable with them. People are looking for universities. They're looking for certain clubs. They're looking for like horse riding and awesome. all the nice yeah. things. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I I really knew that that was holding us back and meaning that we that we weren't getting access to a lot of people who would be amazing. Um, So we just took the CVs away and then we created an application process that enabled people to talk about um, things like a time that they've been brave, a time that they've stepped up and taken responsibility for something. So all about who are you as a person? That, and that was that, that was a mic drop moment because we did it and then it worked. And then also I didn't get in trouble and it was like, wow, that was that was amazing. And it was that sense of I can we can really change things. We can rip up the rule book mm. and no one's gonna die. And it, 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 you know, things sometimes go wrong, but it's better to do it and try. Yeah and then learn from it and maybe tweak it as you go, then, then sort of worry too much about, but that's how everyone's done it for years. And so I, I can't break that pattern. I love the
1: idea of um, like, we can rip up the rubric, especially when it comes, mm. recruitment is yeah. such a hot topic in all things, inclusion and equity. And everyone's like, there's a way that we do things. We must have this, we must We must ask this, etc., etc." And sometimes it's like, if you do those things, it's diaposed to the goals. So we're going to have to commit to doing things differently and boldly. That was bold, Nancy. I love it.
0: Well, that was <laughs> stupid. Who knows? <laughs> but no, it worked. And actually, it um, it changed a lot of stuff. And also, I think we recruit those people in a selection day as well. So we end up spending hours and hours with the people who come in through that process And we use a really diverse panel of people to do the assessments on that day. So people from all around the business, different ethnicities, sexualities, gender, everything is covered. And the people who do that day absolutely love it because we just get such a rich group of people coming through, like some really quirky, surprising, amazing backgrounds. So, yeah, there was no downside to that. But it was that moment of, yeah, we can we can just do this differently and actually it, it will it will be fine and we just need to try different things there is a second point though and that is I sound like I'm doing a terribly shameless fearless futures plug here but the other one for me was you know a few years ago when I was on design for inclusion and the the sense really that look, there's so much stuff that we could all feel guilty and ashamed about and feel you know how can I be in the, in the group of people that have permitted X, Y, and Z to happen? But that sense of just let it go, like it's not helpful to anyone in any way, shape, or form. Like acknowledge it and, and accept that you, you are part of a group that is upholding things and designing things that are problematic. But actually on a personal level, there is really no point in any of us keep feeling really terrible about that. Like move on, redesign things, change things, the guilt and shame is, is, is a huge waste of time and emotion, really. Um, So that was, yeah, that was another big moment for me that just let it go and change it.
1: I promise I did not ask Nancy to say that just just for the record. (laughs) Now, in terms of getting leaders to do things differently, I know there are rules, you know, whether it's talent retention, project allocation, recruit. I mean, we can go through all of the different areas that exist. There are ways of doing things, you know, overarching ways. And then there are ways of doing things with respect to each industry. Um, that said, when you have a leader who's like, I get it, I get diversity, equity, and inclusion, and there's no need for me to participate in anything related to education and training, blah, blah, blah. I need everybody else in the organization to participate in those things. I get it. How do you get buy-in for them to participate in education as well, even if it might look different because they're a leader, you know, instead of an individual contributor in a department somewhere? What does that process look like? Getting folks who get it, even if they don't actually get it as well as they think they get it, to be willing to be a willing yeah. participant in, you know, getting it more or more nuanced or critically.
0: The first point I would make to that person is, what is the it like? there, there isn't like we are all going to keep learning about this stuff until the day we die. There is no end point. Everything keeps evolving. New insights come. Things change for different communities. Like there is so much, so there is no it would, would would be my first challenge to them. And I think it's important to say that. I think it's important to say like I'm still learning. Like I still make mistakes. I'm still learning. We that is that's what's supposed to happen. So there's no like there's no it and there's no certificate when you when you get to a certain point. And I think look people do really deflect to other groups certainly in our industry i think what happens is a really common theme around it's the managers um so often people say oh the managers aren't doing this and it's just like the bottom and the the top are just looking into the middle to sort of go it's them it's them all the time and look i think it's important to say to leaders if they say it's another group or here are the individuals that need to go on this stuff, not me. It's like if you're their leader, you need to role model this. It's, so it's just really, really simple. If there is a problem, if there is a problem with with a certain group of people and that's debatable. If that's the case, your role modeling is essential because they are not truly going to change their behavior until they see you doing that stuff as well. So you have got to live and breathe it so that they understand, um, so that they see those cues and they understand what, what they need to do as well. So I sort of try to frame it as a you're equipping them to learn and get it right if, if you go through this process. I think also it's really important and I bet we'll talk about this numerous times today. I think it's really important to share ins- personal insights with those people as well. So whatever that it is that they think they understand, Let's look at some data that comes from our people about how they feel. You know, we have a survey um, at Mediacom and all WPP agencies. We have an annual inclusion survey. So for many different communities and intersectional identities, we are able to say this is how this group of people feel about this particular topic. And I think sometimes you do have to put that data in front of people. Of course, it would be nice if they just inherently believe what you were saying, but that's not the case and so I think to show disparity of experience between different groups of people, to really try and quantify this is what I'm talking about, and, and we need you behind it. I think I think sharing those insights has an impact um and, and and they need to understand it.
1: And what do you say for a leader who might work in an organization that doesn't have that data? Much less data that's intersectional and takes into the takes into consideration, even if 95% of women are enjoying their experience in the workplace. Of that 95%, well, of that 100, that 5% who's not enjoying it, what other identities are there? Is there women of color having a different experience? Maybe it's the Asian women, maybe it's Black women, maybe it's Indigenous women. So if there's a leader sitting somewhere that doesn't have that data because so many organizations don't, or the data is lacking an intersectional analysis you know what could they say to get that leader over the line because they can't actually quantify it
0: i think there's a couple of options there i mean i think you i think it is worth organizations paying for to to get that data or if they can't do something really substantial like that at least some listening exercises that we're where experiences can be anonymized and shared in a really safe way. That has to be done by somebody external. If you don't have data, then the chances are you're not in a place where everyone's really comfortable with the sharing of stories. Like if if you haven't got data, you're probably fairly early on in the journey. So I think it's a really good idea to pay an external company to help you have those conversations with people and, and, to, and to understand that lived experience. But I think it's also okay to say these things, unfortunately are not ever unique to one company right that, that, so there are universal truths that we just have to accept and and I, i've had quite a lot of pushback in the past from people not at MediaCom, but at, in other agencies where people have sort of actually seen sometimes their own data and gone oh that doesn't that doesn't resonate with me that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't sound like and i'm like no this is your people telling you this very precise <laughs> this is this is your data this is your people um but, but I think we have to look to other sources and, and there, aren't, there are not organisations where we can say there's no disparity in experience and everyone has the same experience here and every community is happy. It's just not the case. Unfortunately, that's not how our society is at the moment. Um, and so I think where you don't have that data, get it from other sources and just be confident that that is how your people will be feeling as well, because sadly, Things might be slightly better in, in different places, but there isn't, you know, we can't ignore societal truths, mm-hmm. really.
1: There was something in there. I just wanted to tease out this idea that, and I'm, I'm using different words just, just to be accurate here. But, you know, if racism is showing up in media, chances are showing up in higher education in science that you know in all of the different industries and i think that's something that folks um i don't want to say conflate but this idea that the way in which sexism or anti-semitism disablism you know the different systems of oppression that exist that they miraculously show up very very differently depending on which industry you're in it's like yes You know, racism can morph. And yes, manifestations might look the same. But the roots, the roots of these systems are identical across. The branches might look slightly different. The leaves might look slightly different. But even if you don't have that data, chances are you can lean into someone else's, you know, data and go, it probably mirrors, especially if demographics are the same. And you haven't been doing much work on, you know, inclusion and equity. I want to take us back to leaders. Leaders have power. And there's different types of power. So we have lateral power, hierarchical power, you know, we won't get into a deep analysis of power here, I promise. But in terms of, you know, the power they have to build equity and the capacity they have to build equity at that structural level, what do we say? I'm, I'm, and I'm going back to I get it. And even if we get them on the training, but even after the training, they're like, OK, managers, take off and do your thing. Department heads take off and do your thing. What do we say to them to really get them to realize if we want these different policies and processes and practices to look different? We need you to lean into the power you have to enact change and not just change, but quickly. Like, we actually don't have to wait three fiscal years to do something differently. You could theoretically snap that finger and things could start to move. So, what do we say to get them over that line to really harness their power and lean into it for equity?
0: Yeah. Do you know, I think currently, there is the ideal opportunity to to do that, right? Because you're absolutely right. People go on the training. People find the training challenging. Then they find the training interesting. Then they sort of process it for a little while, and then they're all sort of like really positive. And here's the stuff that I'm going to do, and I'm going to do this differently. And then everyone gets really distracted again by their by their <laughs> emails and their and their normal meetings and whatever else is going on. And and then you sort of see you you, you see things sort of wane a little bit. I think we've got a really good opportunity at the moment to illustrate that these conversations about power and equity and inclusion, this is not a new thing and this is a business solution to stuff that you're worried about at the moment. So it's really interesting. I can see lots of leaders at the moment almost saying, well, not almost, literally in in some (laughs) occasions saying, I haven't got the headspace to think about this stuff at the moment. We've got a retention problem. And so the great resignation is like, you know, it's permeated every industry, every, you know, every company. And people see those two things as totally separate. And so there's a great, yeah. And it's like, they're just like, oh no, I can't do that now. We'll come back oh, to that in, a, in a two years time when the great resignation's <laughs> finished. And I'm like, oh my God, they're the same thing. Like that's the thing that you're now sort of worried about. I'm just too tired to do this work. That is the solution to, to that thing there. And I think, you know, we have to frame it in that way. And sometimes that hurts, right? Because we should be sitting here saying there is a moral obligation to do X, Y, and Z. But the reality is that not everybody can see that at the moment. Not everybody has the energy to do that, like whatever their personal reasons are for not getting on, on board with it. But right now we can frame things in relation to retention and the great resignation. This is not a new, This is this, this is a business solution. It is not... Is not like a hobby that we're asking you to layer on top of all the other things that you do. And I think that is how we've got to frame it for some people. There are some people who do get it and do totally understand the the moral aspect here. And there are others who just feel like I'm so bombarded with all the millions of things that I'm supposed to do in the workplace now that we have to show them that this is the route to solving another problem.
1: There's obvious tension there with, I don't want to say disentangling, but on the one hand, you have, we're going to use your example of the great resignation. And then on the other hand, this constant need to be working on inclusion and equity for a plethora of reasons and folks feeling like they're opposed. So I hear you, what I hear you saying is like, well, we can connect the dots. If you don't want folks to be, you know, resigning and In extreme, I'm just going to say extreme because I'm sure it feels extreme to folks who are dealing with this. In very large numbers, this is a solution. If you didn't have to present it that way to those folks who say they don't have time, how would you present it if you're thinking about folks' humanity and their dignity and their freedom and their legitimacy? How else would you frame it if you didn't have to say, "Hey, this is a business solution"? What are other ways in which, like, you could frame it?
0: So again, I think that comes back to the human experience, right? Like, I don't. Sometimes I do. I I do get that rejection from leaders sometimes, where people are just a bit like, "Oh my God, you, you're calling me again, aren't you, to tell me that there's a different way I should be doing this?" Um, And you sort of see people leaning out of it frequently. I can't think of many um examples of where when faced again with the human experience and what the human impact has been for people that people have then gone i'm sorry i don't care i still don't have the time to do this like that is not I, I don't work with anyone who who has ever done that and you have to balance that right we can't be parading different communities around and going you know go on tell tell them how awful it is and you know putting the burden on people and making them overshare their experiences But you do have to find a way where you can present that view and that experience and what it means for an individual, because I do think that that gets most people on board. And it's not like a simple fix that that is a conversation that needs to be ongoing and continual learning on it. But I personally haven't ever experienced somebody saying, yeah, I don't I don't care about that personal experience. Most people hear the impact the inequity and a lack of justice has for individuals and think oh god okay I've got to I've got to do something and and I I think we are really bad just generally in in various different industries of asking people to be inclusive and not giving them any information or tools to do that like I I think you know companies often try and scrimp and save in this area and do things on a tiny budget and you know end up taking advantage of different people and we just can't do that like we have to this this is a a huge behavior change for lots of people and it it does have to be invested in and and it has to be a sort of a sustained a sustained effort really
1: it's almost as if when doing this work Folks will often, and when I say folks, this could be the trainee or you know, the trainer, you know, whichever side one sits on, will intellectualize, you know, these systems of inequities and not often make that emotional connection between yes, racism is a system that impacts people of color. Here are the multitude of ways. Versus going, what's the material consequence of being, you know, a black person in South London, in, you know, at feeling harms coming their way and being afraid to call the police, like really grounding people in in embodying what does that feel like? When leaders I've seen in my experience, when they've made that connection, how does this impact a Jewish person day to day or Jewish disabled woman a Muslim woman, et cetera, then it's like, oh, now I, I can see how this plays into the great resignation. And now I'm, I can be continuously motivated to work towards it versus saying I have 80 meetings, Nancy, this week. I don't I don't have time. I don't have bandwidth. I don't have capacity. You've had you all do loads of trainings. Um, and I know you've done trainings with us what have you seen folks do off the back of some of these trainings? Do you, Are you seeing behavioral trainings? Are you just seeing conversations change afterwards? Because like you said, it's a long game. This isn't, I've attended one training on Islamophobia and suddenly like yeah. I'm an expert in all things, the Muslim yeah. experience internationally, like this is a, the learning never ends. So, you know, based on the trainings that, you've had at Mediacom and WPP whether it's with us with like building inclusive cultures or other trainings you have facilitated how have you seen that like stir up change and also dig up the roots that we need to so we can reroute and replant and redesign it
0: it definitely is a journey so not blatantly not enough has Mm. happened yet like that is that's the thing that we're still working on yeah, I mean, I, I I can't I can't sit there and say that um it's it's been solved. That that's definitely not the case. It's going to take for you know a, a very long time. What I have seen immediately is a number of different things. I think I see a degree of reassurance in people in marginalised communities that that has happened. So I to some extent I can see some people's shoulders coming down slightly and thinking, okay, good because. This is not, you know, the, the, the training that we have done with our leaders um, with Fearless Futures, it's not sort of fluffy, can we just quickly come in this room for an hour and do some unconscious bias You know, that's not the approach we've taken, and I think that that reassures quite a lot of people. It's not enough, but it's like, a, okay, good, at least you're taking this approach that is more innovative, that is more honest and more challenging. So I think that's a really good thing. I have definitely been in meetings where people have said, you know, in relate, in relation to parts of the business that I'm not really closely connected to, which is always the bit that makes your heart sing and think, yes, that's, that's so amazing that someone said that. You know, someone was talking about a process at work the other day and they said, look, after the Fearless Futures training, I think I need to change this and do dot, dot, dot. And you do internally go, yay, that's like, Um, But what we are doing, what what we're about to do in the next um, few weeks, actually, at Mediacom, a lot of people work um, in an agile way. um, And retrospectives are a thing that have become very normal for for people working with agile techniques. And so we're taking everybody who's been on the Fearless Futures training and doing a retrospective with everybody so that groups come together, that we can... We'll make sure that people have a little reminder of the training so they can sort of regroup and think, okay, what was that that stuff that I have learned and been processing? And then get people to have conversations about right, what are the things that you've been changing around you? And the tight they can be the tiny things. And so we will really stress to people, you don't need to turn up and say, right, I've totally redesigned how our agency makes money or, and it's more you know, it doesn't have if it is that stuff, amazing. Um but actually how are you running your team meetings? How are you talking to people? Who are you including? Who are you going out for lunch with? Who are you what like, all the tiny little things all yeah. day long? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really want people to share those things with each other because, yes, of course, the training equips people to do things in a different way. But I think people can really inspire each other with a I did this thing and I can I can see it's already had an impact with my team. And I want people to hear that stuff from each other and think, my God, that's a really smart idea. I can easily implement that in my team. And, And so hopefully through that process, we'll start to see more action and People taking that inspiration from each other, so that we can, so that we can move more quickly.
1: It also builds accountability because, I mean, I'm just thinking back to you know being on a college campus. There's loads of classes that I took, and in that moment, I was like, "This is fascinating." I don't think about that now. I found a USB drive, near and I was looking through old papers. First of all, I was like, woof, this is not good writing," but like, that's one. Two, it's like, oh, this sounds familiar. Like having to be reminded of what you learned is a real and true thing if you're not engaging with it day in and day out. I wanna, you know, if you're in HR or you're in marketing or you're in advertising, public relations, like whatever it might be, the reality is you're not sitting there thinking about these things day in and day out. So being proactive in creating spaces where you can come together and share, you know, learning moments, aha moments. What levers have you pulled? You know, even if they're micro, like you said, and not. I've redesigned recruitment for all of WPP. It's like, oh, well, you did that in three months. Yeah. But <laughs> like listening to someone's bio, but I also think there's yeah. a value there, and this is for me being a teacher. Being embarrassed if you haven't done anything yet. It's like, oh. I need to step my game up. And sometimes I feel like we need that communal spirit in this, like we all have to be working towards this. We all have to step our game up, but we can help and support each other at the same time.
0: And, and also to that point, I would really love it when 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 the, we run those groups that people share things that didn't work as well. Like to have the opportunity to go, oh, I did this and it really backfired, and then but that but that people can talk about why yeah. that might have been. I mean, actually, that would be incredibly useful. So we will be asking people to to be coming and being really really honest and open. And tell us what you're struggling with. I always really firmly believe that when you get a group together, pretty much anything can be fixed. And 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 I hope people come with that sort of vulnerability to say, oh, I, I didn't get it right yet.
1: And <laughs> maybe have them listen to this episode so they can hear. We at Fearless Futures don't always get it right. And you put it out into the world and you discover, oh, that didn't go well, that didn't go well. And it's not that you beat yourself up. It's not that you, what you mentioned earlier, it's not that you sit in guilt. It's not that you sit in shame. You know, you can feel that feeling, but do not get stuck there. And just yeah. go back to the drawing board and identify what are possible ways, Possible ways and send it out into the world for iteration too. Sometimes our best lessons come from our mistakes. And yes, folks will be impacted, but it's better to be working on it than to do absolutely nothing at all. So it's okay if we have to do iteration two, three, four, five until we get it right. And there's, I think there's also value in being transparent in that process. So if you were working on something for Muslim women in the office and it didn't go well, don't hide behind. It's like, no, let's have a forum this is what we did, this is what we learned and invite folks to participate in the creation or you know the development of iteration two and so forth. I think there's value in that. And maybe that's something that could be added to those sessions. Like there's a sessions for just the folks who went through it. And then if something went wrong, maybe there's a session that comes afterwards where you can bring in folks to go, what was the impact? What would you have liked to have seen and so forth? Because sometimes the answer is sitting out there
0: It is. I'm stealing this as you're talking. I'm (laughs) mentally making a note because actually I think that is one of the really difficult things about this work is that people are often paralysed with fear about doing the wrong thing. Try and tell people, is it honestly, it is okay. Like, it's better to do something and get it a bit wrong and then apologise and ask why it was wrong and ask how you could have done better than to sit there and not address things and not mention it and pretend that thing isn't happening. But I think that's a really difficult thing for people to understand because generally in society... We don't make that no, clear, do we? Penalized. Like we, we, you know, Impolished. you get really penalised. Um, not just around inclusion. I mean, I think people are very frightened of yeah. saying the wrong thing about yeah. everything. You know, saying that I am, I got something wrong, is not particularly in certain cultures, Encouraged. is not any, an an easy thing. If I could, if I could make one thing happen, one mindset change, it it would actually be that because I think it holds us back.
1: I was literally going to ask, like, in terms of creating a shared paradigm across leaders, what would that look like? And it sounds like one of those things would be just sitting with the fact that you will mess up doing this work in the spirit of equity and inclusion, and that's okay. It won't feel okay. We're not saying it will
0: not not feel okay.
1: The very opposite of okay.
0: Yeah. Well, the first couple of times where I thought oh I've messed up it did not feel okay but then that does start to that starts to go it does get easier because once you've apologized a couple of times whether it's using the wrong language or missing something about somebody's insight not getting something once you have screwed that up a couple of times and lent into that and owned it and acknowledged it made it right the fear of that actually massively reduces I think I feel way less frightened of, of saying that stuff now I feel really quite comfortable with going I totally got that wrong I, I miss that about your experience I didn't listen to you properly whatever it might be I'm sorry for that and, and how can we rectify it I think you just need to get a couple of those under your belt and then once you, once you've once you've done it and and made good it I think you are far less frightened of it
1: I Nancy full transparency I don't go to the gym I don't enjoy exercising any of those things people think that I do solely based on body size and I tell them very quickly no I do not (laughs) but I do know that you don't just wake up one day and run a marathon you know you have to start small I don't even think you start with like a five kilometer run like you start Well, maybe some people, I wouldn't, you know, you have to start very small and then you learn your body, you learn what nutrition you need. And then by the end, like you're crossing, whether it's like the London Marathon, Belgium, California, I mean, they're all over. And then you're like, hooray, I did it. Now in this analogy, It's falling flat because there's the end point where as far as like an inclusion equity journey, there is no end point, but this idea of you have to build a muscle and in that building of the muscle, you will will mess up. How do you explain to leaders what equity means in practice day in and day out? Like getting a shared paradigm of what equity really means in practice daily. So whether it's the email meeting, the luncheon, the keynote, the pitch, like what does that mean day in and day out?
0: So again, it's bringing those examples to life, right? And I think we have tried to really look at systemic points of our business and to explain, here's what your experience of those things are and how you navigate that. And here is how somebody in this community or with this identity is or isn't navigating that. To the point I made earlier about, we don't always equip people and give them the knowledge we do have to accept that sometimes people's worlds are different to ours and they are mixing with different people and their access to different opinions and lived experiences is really, is really can be really different and I think we do have to make those illustrations and sort of say okay this is how you navigate this, this is how this person is navigating that, here's, here's how much less access they have to you, here's, here's where they wouldn't put their hand up and say that something inappropriate was happening Here's what would happen to them in this recruitment process. Here's how they won't be able to access our building to even come in and have that conversation. And, and I think we do really have to breathe life into this because people look at people tend to look at everything through their lens and think, well, I, you know, I and, and we've all got a thing, right, that we think is our like terrible thing that we all carrying around and a heavy bag on our shoulder and and i think we have to we need to draw parallels between this is your experience of this particular thing and, and and this is somebody else's because it is really feasible that they just don't know it and we have to we have to help them to understand that um again i'd go back to the data point you know some of the if you can survey your people and get them to to sort of share their lived experience i think again that's really powerful we've we do have questions around things like inappropriate behavior instead of reporting that as here, So the question is, I can't remember how it's phrased, but the question is something around, you know, if something inappropriate was happening. Would you feel comfortable to raise your hand and not fear retaliation? Um, there is a huge disparity. Every agency scores that I've looked at for that. The disparity is enormous, which is obviously a huge psychological safety point. Right. Like if we're not getting that right. We've got some some real um, work to do. When people see here is the score for, say, a straight white man on that, and here's the percentage of people that agree that that's an okay thing to do, but here is how a disabled black woman feels about that, and let's look at that forty or fifty percent difference in the percentage. We 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 need people to to understand that it may not be their experience, it may not be the experience of their friends and their family. So we do have to, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So we've just got to close those gaps. And, and make sure that people understand what it is.
1: So I've heard this, and I'm sure you've heard it, even if it was, hasn't been at Mediacom and WPP. If we're going to do this work, if we're going to do inclusion, if we're going to do a training, whatever it might be, okay, fine. But we can't talk about this, 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 and that because then everyone won't be happy all of the things that get listed that you should avoid, the topic you should not bring up are the very things that are causing discord and why everyone currently isn't happy. And it's just like, how are how are we to do this work? How, what do you say to those people that this is, first of all, it's not even about making everyone happy, but why that should not be the focus if the focus is, if there is an inclusion and equity initiative, you know, that an organization has internally.
0: I think it's so important, isn't it, that you, this is why you don't do the whole, we're going to work on women for two years, and then we're going to move on to black people, and then we're going to move on to this, like, that's why you can't tackle those I one, love. that one group at a time, which I think a lot of companies do, you sort of see them saying, oh, you know, for the last two years, we've we've been doing gender equality, and now we've moved on, and it's like, well, you, you haven't cracked it, so um, so you do have to have that approach of inclusion is about everybody. I think so often, sometimes, maybe let's just say the sort of uh, dissenting voices or the people who are struggling a little bit and aren't always the ones who are happy, um, they quite often look at conversations about inclusion and think, okay, that's about ethnicity and it's about gender. And so then they immediately think, well, that that's not affecting my, me and my personal experience and, and, and they struggle. So we have to look at inclusion really broadly and make sure we're talking about everything and making sure that all all communities are are supported. But I think this is the place really where we do really have to push back. This has happened numerous times for me. I think it is okay. I, I think pandering to people and trying to keep everyone happy is impossible, but also really, really problematic. It is okay to say to people, you're this right now this particular thing isn't about you you're right and that's okay and another point in your career or at some point in the next few months or years or whatever it might be you may be experiencing something and that we will also give you that assistance and support and attention and and make sure that you have equitable opportunities but I do think we have to point out to people what they have how comfortable they might be at the moment, all of the different resources and access and privilege that they have to things, and say it's okay if you if you have slightly reduced access to something for, you know, in the history of time, what might be the equivalent of like two minutes. I know that some people would really disagree with that approach because I think some people would probably think that that's a bit combative for the workplace, but I think we really have to do it. I think it's... I think it's patronizing when companies don't do that and do try and make everyone happy because it's not real. It isn't possible. And it's okay to say, look, we our inclusion approach is, is for everybody, but we absolutely can be very specific about certain communities and what we're doing for certain communities at points. And you'll be okay if the focus isn't on you for 100% of the time.
1: It's not. It's not an easy conversation to have. As you were talking, my brain, I'm thinking like if we were in the session we were facilitating, if someone brings that up, it's like, okay, everyone, you're absolutely right. Everyone won't be happy, but is everyone happy now? Who isn't happy? And, and if we're using this word happy, whose happiness are we prioritizing and whose happiness yeah. are we devaluing and are essentially saying, isn't worth the hard work and the discomfort to get to a place of not happiness, but equity, where you have a sense of freedom, dignity, and and belonging. You should add that to your session, Nancy. I swear everyone, this is not your plan. <laughs> um, let's we're gonna go to a new space. I can tell you, just by reading yeah. your bio, you clearly are full of ideas, bold ideas in the spirit of equity. If you could design a new policy or create or redesign an existing policy that had all the bits and bobs and pieces that was fully resourced it had everything you need you know Stakeholder signing off no pushback what would that policy be Nancy?
0: I'm gonna cheat a smidgen because it's actually just fast-forwarding a few months on something that I am already doing and, and that is um, a global sponsorship program. And so it's something that we've had in the UK for about 18 months. And it's something that I feel so, so strongly about. I think a lot of companies just automatically default to mentoring, which and look, there is a place for mentoring. I, I don't want anyone yeah. to think that I am disregarding mentoring but the problem is is it doesn't always acknowledge what somebody's lived experience is and the challenges and the bias that they are facing and so then when that relationship ends that person is still left, left in a system that is not designed for them to prosper in and so mentoring is useful but I don't believe the answer to changing representation in in organizations and so we are currently working on extending that UK program out into I'm going to say all markets um, it would probably be safer to say as You're many as possible, but I'm going to say all. The
1: market.
0: Yes, it's happening because I just think that, you know, your team often talk about the whole sort of co-conspirator approach. And for me, that's what sponsorship is. It's like, let's pair these two people together. Let's let them have honest conversations about, why someone hasn't progressed or isn't progressing as fast as they could and let's get those two people working on that together let's make that senior person lend some of their privilege smash down some of those barriers give up some of their opportunities help raise that person's profile but let's just do this honestly and let's just say look i can see this stuff isn't happening for you at the moment and so i'm going to help rectify that and we will do this together you know, the mentoring approach would more be, you know, from my experience, this is what I have done. And if I were you, this is what I would do. But it's like that person might not be able to do that stuff. So we really do need these really powerful sort of pairings where that senior person can go, OK, I hear what your experience is. Now I get it. And here's what I'm going to do to, to change the system around you and, and and to rectify that stuff.
1: Absolutely. Because there's a difference between a mentor saying when I was in a similar situation, this is what this is what I did. Here's a couple of ways this scenario could play out. Then a sponsor saying, oh, you've been skipped for how many promotions? And I read through the reviews and I talk to people and I, I realize what's happening here. And then during the next promotion cycle, I bring your name up and I can advocate for you and I can give voice and I can prioritize. That's very, very different. And there's value in both. If you'd have to choose yeah. between two programs... I would choose sponsorship over yeah. mentorship. I'm looking at time and I hate that time is a concept no. that exists, but here we are having to work. <laughs> Last question. And this is more of a fun question. Yeah. So how spicy are you feeling, Nancy? Truth or dare? <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh God.
1: Let's okay. get Truth. Truth. So, I want you to tell us something, a term that was widely used, and you had no idea what that meant. Terms are, and there's always a new term. So, honestly, this could be a truth for all of us. But there was a term, it was widely used, and you were sitting there, think, or reading, going, What on earth
0: does this mean? Hold on. Do you mean something that's like inappropriate? In the anti oppression
1: system inequity world.
0: Okay. I mean I think look, there are loads of there are loads of terms that that come out all the time and I think there are loads of things in our vernacular that we've never even thought of. You know, you have these like throwaway phrases little phrases. You have no idea yeah. what the source is. Like you haven't even e- ever seen the sentence written down, <laughs> let alone know where that came from. So there's always things like, you know, people have always said, haven't they, I found my spirit animal and stuff. It's like, no, stop saying that. Chinese whispers, you know, all of the all of these things. I, I had an amazing Chinese colleague who um, once said to me um i used the phrase we were talking about sort of trying to make sure that people understood something and i said something about oh we need to open their eyes and he was like don't say that to me please and he was like my whole childhood um as a as a chinese Brit, i have had um people saying to me make comments about his eyes and it was just like wow I had never thought that that would be a thing that that would be triggering for you I think in the UK the term Afro-Caribbean is used all the time and it's like what does that mean um so yeah I think I think there are loads of them and and we're learning these things all the time aren't we and just thinking oh god and that's the stuff we need to be honest about you know some of this stuff I might have been saying two weeks ago and and it's never it's never occurred to us what what this stuff means. things
1: that I end up googling because i'll hear someone say it or i've said it and i'll go what does this even like where did this come from and then you read it and you're like oh this isn't bad or you're like oh <laughs> does anybody so else know small. this okay i know i said last question but this is this is truly but you lied.
0: okay carry I'm on so
1: sorry <laughs> if you could have dinner with anyone past or present who would it be anyone in the equity space this could be an author a podcaster a current leader at another organization who would
0: it be and why oh god I mean I'm going to stretch the concept of the equity space <laughs> <laughs> but and look it's a massive cliche it's not very interesting but I just really the person that I would um, like love to have dinner with although I don't think I think I'd lose the power of speech there were two people and I was talking about this with someone the other day um Barack Obama, I just what an amazing man. Uh and that would be the ultimate one for me. But in the UK there's a politician called David Lammy who I think is an incredible orator, really inspiring person, does so much um for marginalised communities and I would I would love to talk to him. I did actually get the chance to meet him a little while ago and I chickened out because I was like, Oh, I'll say something stupid. <laughs> um But yeah, but 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 those two for me, if I hear those two people speaking, then I then I definitely want to hear what they're saying.
1: Honestly, Nancy, this has been a joy. Obviously, I could talk to you for a really long time, but I know that's just not the world we're living in. I want to thank you. I know we we have have to eat, eat. we have to sleep, we have to work, we have to do all these things. I just want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for your energy, for your honesty and transparency. And if you haven't, this is going to sound so cheesy for like primary children, but honestly, if you haven't told yourself throughout this whole process that you've done a good job, I hope you will celebrate after this because you were absolutely fabulous.
0: thank you. That's very kind. And thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Bye, Nancy.